Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. As we study your word now, help me to preach it faithfully and clearly. And by your Holy Spirit, show us what really matters in life and change our hearts so that we would make it our ambition to know Jesus Christ personally above everything else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what would you consider to be your greatest achievement? What would you consider to be your greatest achievement? Uh, that was the question I was asked at a job interview some years back when I was just out of high school. Uh, it caught me rather off guard. I wonder how you would answer that question. Academic success? Uh, a promotion at work? A sporting achievement? A con contribution to the community? A persevering through the first year as a parent? A surviving a year of coronavirus? Uh, what would be your greatest achievement? Well, young as I was, uh, after I paused for a while, I replied that my greatest achievement was scoring well in my high school exams. At the time, I thought that that was something impressive. And I thought that my interviewer would be impressed and give me the job. Well, he didn't. But I think that, that illustrates a common way of us thinking. Uh, we try to, to prove our value and earn our acceptance from others through our achievements. Uh, we think to ourselves, if I can just get those marks, my parents will accept me. If I can just get that title, then society will respect me. If I just stay back at work a bit longer, my boss will promote me. Uh, if I'm funny enough or good looking enough, then my friends, well, they will like me and accept me. And this longing for acceptance drives us on an endless desire to succeed, working harder, achieving more, all in the hope that somehow others will value us and appreciate us. But of course, it's a terrible way to live because the problem is that uh, it doesn't matter however much I do, it never seems to be enough. There's always more to achieve more people to impress, and even if I do succeed, there is always the fear that next time I won't perform and my acceptance and value will then be lost. And so we think that our achievements will make us happy and accepted, but in the end they only enslave us and disappoint us. Well, this uh, striving for acceptance can happen in our relationship with God as well. Our natural tendency is to think that we can earn God's acceptance by impressing him with our moral and religious achievements. And so at the heart of most religions is the teaching that if you just keep the rules, if you perform well, then God will accept you. Perform that ritual. Pray at this time. Don't eat that food. God will be happy with you. And yet, even the most moral and religious person still struggles to believe that God actually accepts them. Because they know that there's always more to do. And they all are painfully aware of how they fall short again and again. And so, once again, we find ourselves striving harder and harder to be more moral, more religious, so that we can earn acceptance with God. And yet we find ourselves feeling only more unsure 
and more enslaved. Well, just for a little while this morning, I want us to see how Christianity is different from all other religions. Because at the heart of Christianity is not an attempt to impress God with our good works, but we are given a relationship with Jesus based on grace. And my goal this morning is that we would grasp that gospel of grace and know that the total love and acceptance of personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, Paul writes uh, the letter of Philippians from prison. Uh, and as he writes, he's unsure whether he's going to live or die. And yet in this letter, Paul is full of rejoicing and full of passion to see the gospel advance. Because it's clear what matters to Paul is, is not his personal comfort or material success. Paul is living for the advance of the gospel. Paul says in chapter 1, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul wants the Philippians and he wants us to have that same mindset, to delight in Jesus Christ and to respond to what he's done by living a life that is worthy of the gospel. But if we are to delight in Jesus and, and live this life worthy of the gospel, then we must first recognize, and this is the first point this morning, that all of our achievements are worthless. All of our achievements are worthless. We see the positive side first in verse 1. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing is, to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And Paul wants us to rejoice in the Lord, to delight in him, to treasure him for all that he's done for us. Because it's only as we delight in knowing Jesus as our Lord that we will be safe from the perilous danger of human achievement and self-justification. And it is exactly that prospect that turns Paul's joy to anger very quickly in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, I guess we might think of dogs as rather cute and uh, cuddly. Uh, on the screen, there's a picture of uh, my wife Suman's family dog, Mei Mei. She lives in Kiel. Uh, she probably needs more exercise, but she's cute in her own way. But in Paul's day, dogs were not cute pets. They were ugly, and under the law, they were unclean. And so to call someone a dog in Paul's day was particularly offensive, especially if you were a Jew. Now, Paul is addressing this to a, a particular group of Jewish religious leaders known as the Judaizers. Now, no doubt they were morally upright and well-respected teachers. But Paul is so bold here as to call them evildoers, unclean, harmful. He calls them dogs. And of course, we should ask why. Why is Paul so angry with these people? Why does Paul call these moral, religious teachers of God's word dogs? Well, it's because of the false gospel that they were preaching. See, they, they were not preaching the gospel of grace, that the gospel which saves people. They were, they were preaching another gospel, a false gospel, a, a corrupted gospel. They were preaching what we might call gospel 
plus. They were saying, faith in Jesus is not enough. You need more. You need faith in Christ plus good works. Faith in Christ plus religious rituals. Faith in Christ plus circumcision and food laws and festivals and the Old Testament law. They were saying it's faith in Christ plus living as a Jew. And Paul is very angry because gospel plus is no gospel at all. Let me put it this way. Four years ago, uh, Leonardo da Vinci's painting of Jesus sold for just a little bit of money, USD $450 million. Now, it was because it was a genuine masterpiece. Now, I want you to imagine if the new owner of that uh, painting decided that it now needed a few additions. And so they decided to paint over the top a bit, uh, maybe add some facial hair, uh, or uh, give Jesus blue hair instead of whatever it was, brown or black. Now, if he did that, he would destroy the painting, would he not? And so with the gospel of Christ. The gospel is the good news of what Christ has done for us, how he died as our saviour, how he was raised again as our king. But if you add anything to the gospel, you destroy the gospel. If you say it's gospel plus going to church, or gospel plus baptism, gospel plus serving in a ministry, Gospel plus giving money to church. Gospel plus spiritual gifts. Gospel plus having a quiet time. Gospel plus evangelizing others. Gospel plus whatever it may be. All good things for sure. All things that Christians should be doing in the Christian life. But if you add anything to the death of Jesus as a prerequisite for pleasing God, if you had any religious ritual as a condition of acceptance with God, well, then you are preaching gospel plus. You have destroyed the gospel and you have lost salvation. Because if you add anything to the gospel of grace, then what you're really doing is trusting in yourself, trusting in your own morality, your own achievements, to get you to heaven. And you might feel very good about it, but it won't get you there. You see, it doesn't matter how moral we are, how religious we are, how rich we are, how successful we are. No achievement, no success will ever be enough to win God's favour or bring lasting security. Only the death of Jesus can do that. And so Paul warns the Philippians, and he warns us, those false teachers have got it wrong. Gospel plus is not good news. It is not the gospel. The simple gospel, the gospel of grace, that is all we need. He says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. See, Christians are those who refuse to trust in themselves or their own achievements. Instead, God's Spirit changes our hearts so that we worship God 
and we rejoice in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. The mark of the Spirit's work in the Christian is that they rely fully on Jesus and they put no confidence in themselves. Now, when I was a child, I got all this terribly wrong. Yes, I believed that Jesus died to save me, believed that God loved me, but I was never really sure that God accepted me. I thought somehow that God's acceptance depended on my performance, how much I was reading my Bible or how well I lived the Christian life. And so no matter how hard I tried to please God as a child, it it never gave me any assurance of my salvation because I was simply depending on myself instead of Jesus alone. Now Paul himself says he once thought like that too. Look at verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So if you wanted to see a model Jew, Paul was it. When it came to religious achievements, Paul was the Li Chong Wei of religion. You know, he was world class. He was from a good family. He was strict. He was zealous. He was committed. He was blameless, frankly. But when Paul met the risen Jesus, he had to reevaluate everything he had previously believed. Look at verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, Paul realizes that he had it all wrong. He thought all those moral achievements had earned him a high distinction with God. But he'd actually failed to love God fully. He thought he had a a genuine gospel DVD, but it turned out he'd only bought a fake. And that is why religion is so dangerous, because you, you think that you're okay because you're so moral and religious, when actually you're in deep trouble. As I said earlier, all religions are about moral effort, and Buddhism and Hinduism are about karma. Do good things and good things will come back to you. Think right, act right, speak right, meditate right. Maybe you'll be reincarnated to a better life instead of a worse one. Uh, In Islam, it's the five pillars you must follow. Saying the Shahada, praying five times a day, giving to the poor, fasting at Ramadan, going to pilgrimage to Mecca. In Roman Catholicism, it's the sacraments. Get baptized, take the Mass, do penance. And for the free thinker, it's, well, it's really wishful thinking, actually. Uh, Just try to do good, more good than bad, and you'll be okay. You know, don't kill anyone, don't steal anything, give money to charity, and you'll be fine in the end. But it's also dangerous, because you think that if you just do all of these various things, you'll be fine. God will accept you when the reality 
is far different. You see, God is holy. And God knows everything that we've ever said, thought, or done. He knows all of our secrets. He knows all of our good deeds. He knows that all our religious effort is like rubbish before him. Because God wants perfection. God's pass mark is not 50%. Compared to his standard of total holiness, we've all failed. We will always fail. We fall short of his glory. And so we need to reevaluate what we are striving for in life. All our moral and religious deeds are worthless when it comes to earning salvation. Now, it's not just our religious deeds we need to reevaluate, but everything that we strive for. Look again at verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I think one of the, the greatest tragedies in life is to so pursue success, your studies, your career, uh, relationships, or, or any achievement really, so much so that it takes the priority in your life over knowing Jesus. Because compared to Jesus, nothing else we strive for in this life really matters. None of those things will ultimately satisfy. None of them will bring us ultimate joy and meaning. And certainly none of those things will save us from sin or secure eternal life. Actually, to, to live for your studies or for a career or for any achievement is like trading a, a precious pearl for a pea. You know, unmeasurable riches for utter poverty, total joy for deep depression. Because no matter how hard we strive to fulfill our ambitions, moral or secular, they will never deliver, they will never satisfy, they will never save. We were made for more. We were made for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's my second point this morning. Knowing Christ is all that matters. Knowing Christ is all that matters. Uh, in the sky above, there are, in fact, billions of stars. But you can't see them during the daytime. Uh, it's only when the sky is completely black at night that we can see the stars shining brightly through. And that's the same with our relationship with Christ. It's only when we come to realize how dark and empty our lives really are that we can perceive how bright and beautiful Jesus Christ really is. It's only when we realize that we can't impress God with our good works and earn our way to heaven that we can begin to appreciate how wonderful Jesus is and how precious is what he has done for us. Again, verse 8, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, saying the thing of, of greatest value in life, that the thing worth pursuing above everything else, the thing worth discarding everything else in order to have, is knowing Jesus. 
Jesus is everything. Because it is only Jesus and his death on the cross that can make me right with God, totally accepted, utterly satisfied, and perfectly secure. Paul continues, verse 8, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he's saying if you, if you compare Jesus to anything else, it's like trying to compare durians and apples. They, they cannot compare. Jesus is surpassing in his glory and importance. The reason for that is that only Jesus can make us right with God. The Bible says that we've all sinned, we've, we've all failed to treat God rightly as our creator, we've failed to love him and obey him as we ought, and that sin deserves God's judgment. We deserve to be separated from him and all his blessings in the place that Jesus called hell. And just as a criminal cannot say to their judge, look, I'll do a lot of good things if you don't punish me and send me to jail. Also, we cannot make up for our sins by our own moral effort. And no amount of good can make up for the evil that we have done. We're still sinners who deserve judgment. For Jesus Christ, he was perfect. He never sinned, not even once. He always loved God. He always praised God. He always obeyed God. And there at the cross, there was a great exchange. There was a swap. Jesus, the righteous one, he took all of our sin onto himself. All the righteous anger of God and punishment that we deserve was placed upon him. And instead, Jesus gave to us his perfect righteousness. He made us right with God, free of all of our sins. So that if we want to be accepted by God, then all we need to do is trust in Jesus and his death for us on the cross. As someone once put it this way, how do you spell the difference between religion and Christianity? Well, religion is spelt do, D-O. Christianity is spelt done. Because religion is all about what you must do to earn your way to heaven, but Christianity is not about doing it ourselves. It's about a relationship with a Saviour who has already done it all for us. And that's why Paul talks so much in this passage about knowing Jesus. Look again at verse 8. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Verse 10, he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul wants to know Christ personally. He knows only Jesus can save him. Only Jesus can bring true meaning and value to his life. And so Paul's life goal, his ambition, is to know Jesus personally. To love him and know him 
more fully. And Paul knew that that, that, that part of knowing Jesus was to to take the same path that, that Jesus took, one of suffering before glory. That's why he says his goal in verse 10 is that that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. One uh, writer puts it this way, as Paul participates in Christ's sufferings, the tribulations through which every Christian must pass, so he desires to understand and experience the life-giving power of God. And so Paul enters into a deeper personal relationship with his Lord and and thus becomes more like him each day, being continually conformed to Christ's death. See, suffering, especially suffering for the gospel, it's an opportunity to know Christ better and, and to delight more fully in his resurrection power. And Paul reminds us that there's, there's no other path to receive eternal life than to trust in Jesus' death and so follow him on the same path of suffering before glory. Now, as we choose to put Christ first in our lives, we will no doubt suffer in this world. But there is no Christianity without the cross and there is no Christian discipleship without suffering. But no matter what we suffer, knowing Christ is all that matters. Well, brothers and sisters, do you know Christ personally? I'm not not asking you, do you know about Jesus? I'm asking you, is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Saviour? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Uh, Perhaps you've been trying to earn God's favour through your moral and religious effort for some time. And perhaps you've been looking for meaning and purpose as you strive forward in your career or your family or, or your achievements. Perhaps all this time you've just been trusting in yourself for salvation and security in life. You've never really come to know Christ personally as your Lord and Saviour. Well, if that's you this morning, then can I urge you, please, push your trust in Jesus today. Let Jesus be your Lord and your Saviour. Then when you you die and you stand before God, you'll you'll be 100% sure you're accepted by him. Not because you are good and religious and all that, because Jesus has done it all for you. If you do know Christ personally, it it should radically change what you're living for in this life. Uh, Suddenly, if I I know Christ, then then marks and career and money and reputation and success and achievements, they they won't matter to me so much anymore. Because our our greatest joy, our greatest treasure, our surpassing desire, the the thing that I I strive for with all my heart is knowing Jesus, knowing him better, loving him more. Because I know that if I have him, I have all that I need. 
and without him I have nothing, no hope, no meaning, no future. Dear friends, there is only one thing worth striving for in this life, and that is to know Christ personally. And so as we begin a new year, will you make it your life ambition to really know Jesus, to know who he is and what he's done for you, to have a relationship with him, to study God's word and to live it out, to ask all the big questions in life so that you can do what Jesus wants. Following Jesus is the one ambition in life that will never disappoint Knowing Jesus is the one goal in life that will bring everlasting joy and perfect security. Do you remember how Paul began this chapter in verse 1? He said, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, Treasure him. Delight in him. Make it your ambition to know him. And then you will be delivered from that endless desire to prove yourself. Then you'll be delivered from the weight and guilt of your failures. Then you'll be delivered from uncertainty about the future. Then you'll be delivered from that perilous trap of human achievement and self-justification. Then you'll be delivered from sin and death and the judgment of God. And you will have true joy true acceptance, true meaning in life, now and into eternity. There is only one thing worth striving for in this life, and that is knowing Jesus personally. Will you strive to know him? Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for reminding us of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, we want to thank you that we do not need to earn our, your favour through our own moral and religious effort. We pray, Lord, instead you would help us to treasure Jesus above everything else and to trust in him and in his death alone for our salvation. As we begin this new year, Lord, let it be our, our life ambition to know Christ more fully, to serve him more joyfully, even as we suffer. For we know that as we trust in him, we look forward to resurrection and future glory with him in his heavenly kingdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.